Welcome to episode three of The Player and the Journalist. Along with Jillian Riley, I'm David Vick. In this episode, we will discuss fifth-year transfers, including Andy Aldave and Paige Petty, and new rules for the 2022 NCAA season. Episode three, how's it going? Good. Excited to be back. We have some fun things to talk about. For sure. Had some big news come out since our last episode. That's where we'll start. Andy Aldave leaving Notre Dame for North Carolina. Your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I was a little shocked, honestly. I think, you know, UNC always brings in top transfers, obviously, because they're such a powerhouse. Um, but I know Andy Aldave, you know, she's had such a good good run at Notre Dame. Um, and I think, you know, it's as a fifth year, I, I could have never pictured myself leaving but I also understand you know Notre Dame struggled the past couple of years um so I'm sure she's ready for a fresh start and you know this is her last um her last go her last season you know um her career is ending after this so um I was shocked but I think she's gonna um do great at UNC it's interesting that you say that Notre Dame struggled which I mean they did just because the expectations are so high but they've been in the top 10 for the last two years they were in the top five for most of this past season so Notre Dame struggling is a great year for almost every other school so it's very interesting (laughs) that the expectations for me I was definitely surprised Notre Dame they're coming off a great season and you could you could argue we kind of touched on this in the first episode um might we have a little bit different opinions on this I guess but one can make the case that they were a final four team if Andy Aldave didn't get injured and she was herself the whole season. And so going into next season, you have Casey Choma, who I think is one of the most exciting players to watch. I love watching her. Her energy and passion is is amazing. And then Bridget Dehan is coming back for a fifth year. So it was just surprising to me that, like you said, she decided to leave, excuse me, (laughs) excuse me, for her last year. Um, and I feel like the the truth in, in it based on her decision is that she just doesn't believe Notre Dame has as good of a chance to win it all as North Carolina, which you can't fault her for that. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I want to know how our Notre Dame teammates feel because, that, I mean, that's got to be a tough one. She's been there for four years and she announced her transfer just a little bit before the start of the fall semester. So it's just interesting timing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think going back to, I think struggling was probably an aggressive word choice, but I think coming from the ACC, you know, the bar set so high and they are such a talented team. They always have been, but I think it's like getting over that hump, right? They make playoffs every year. They make it pretty far, but I think it's the past couple of years they've, they've fell short in the elite eight round. So struggling might've been too aggressive, but um, I do think that they're a great team. I think with her leaving, um, you know, they're, they're losing not only great talent, but also leadership. Um, so that's something that, you know, they're going to have to, um, look to replace in that sense, in that category. But you mentioned Casey Choma, and I think, you know, she has more experience under her belt. She's going to step up, um, Madison Ahern, you know, they, they still have big name people who, who, um, you know, are, are very talented players and are, you know, all about Notre Dame lacrosse. So I think, it's going to be interesting to see who sort of steps up and, you know, makes more of a name for themselves. Um, but yeah, I would definitely want to know what, what her teammates are thinking, what the coaches are thinking, and if there's any other changes going on that we just don't know about yet. Do you think that her leaving Notre Dame shows that 
for her to win a national championship, she's not going to be able to be the best player on the team. Like no, nothing, nothing against her and her talent level. She's amazing, but Notre Dame couldn't get over the hump with her. And obviously she was injured last year, but she was the best player on the team. Um, you could make that case for at least two years, maybe. Um, I mean, they had some other great players, but I don't, I don't just for me personally, I think she's a great player, but I just feel like with her leaving Notre Dame, it just shows that she can't be the best player on a championship team. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you know what you're getting into when you're transferring to UNC, you know, everybody's a rock star on that team. You know, everybody was the best of the best coming um, in from high school. So I think it definitely speaks to the fact that, you know, she's ready and, and wanting to win a national championship. And, you know, I don't think she thought that she was going to be able to get it done at Notre Dame. So I think that's her accepting whatever role she steps into and is offered at UNC. I mean, I think as a transfer, you definitely still have to earn your spot, no matter what your name is, where you come from, um, along with incoming freshmen. So I think, I think she's ready to work hard. I don't, you know, I don't think she's expecting to be handed anything. I think she's a very hard, hardworking player. So, um, but I do think, yeah, I do think she's, she's ready and wanting to win a national championship. I think anybody who plays at the division one level, that's their ultimate goal. And I think they'll do whatever it takes in order, in order to reach that stage. I'm curious to know what your expectations are for her. And it's very interesting because they have Jamie Ortega, who is going to be a Tuaraton finalist. That's like a guarantee. They have Caitlin Wurzberger, who came on really strong at the end of last season when Ortega missed a few games. So kind of got a glimpse of what she's going to be this season with no Katie Hogue. She's going to have a much bigger role. And obviously, like she's just so hyped up and deservedly so. They have Olivia Dirks coming in, who's another All-American. They have Scotty Rose Growney, who I'm super high on. I think she's underrated. She's a great player. They have Ali Mastriani coming back. I mean, you can just go down the list. I mean, Taylor Moreno is going to be in goal. They're just going to be so stacked. And we kind of saw this play out last year when Kerrigan Miller transferred from USC. And she had an okay season, but she didn't have the type of seasons she had at USC. She just wasn't depended on to produce like she was out West. And so it's going to be interesting to see what the role is and the expectations are within the team for Andy Aldave, because she's no longer going to be the best player. She's no longer going to be who everyone is focusing on. So she might have a, a better season because of that, because everyone, the, everyone is going to be focusing on other players. But mm-hmm. what do you think um, her season and the expectations will look like for her? Yeah. I mean, I think first things first, she's sort of coming off an injury still. I know. I know all the details, but she's playing with a brace for the majority of the season. Um, so I, I think first and foremost, she needs to take care of that and sort of um, get her speed back get her agility back. You know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking having to come back for, from a knee injury like that. I've, I've had several teammates who, um, you know, it's a long process and you just have to trust the process. But I think for her, um, I think heading into uh, or joining a team like UNC, the players are, are getting better every day and they're elevating the bar every day. So I think, you know, in terms of my expectations, I think that's just, she's going to have to stay hungry. And, you know, I, I think complacency is a really good way to describe it. I think, um, you know, you were talking about Jamie Ortega earlier, and um, I think she's a type of player who is constantly evolving her game and constantly getting better along with the entire rest of their roster. You know, nobody's ever satisfied with their game and, I think for her, that's, that's something that's going to be super important, you know, joining, joining their team is just, you know, always raising the bar, always elevating, um, 
your skill and your game and your stick work. Um, I think that's something that the UNC coaching staff definitely expects out of their players, you know, especially being the powerhouse that they are and the reputation that they have um, making it to the final four the past couple of years. I think that's something that they pride themselves on. And I think um, she's going to have to be ready to step up to the plate and, you know, work hard alongside her teammates. So just to kind of put a wrap on this before we go to Paige Petty, I think the word you used was a great way to look at it, complacency. And I feel like with North Carolina, I just interviewed Scotty Rose Grounie a few days ago and coming off how last season ended and the year before that, I feel like with her senior class, so many fifth years, there's going to be no type of complacency because they realize this is their last year to get it done. So I feel like entering this, this fall, North Carolina is probably going to be the hungriest team and the most motivated team. I mean, the, the sting of defeat hurts, but then when you lose it in, in this, the biggest game of your life, which for her class was the biggest game because they never played a national championship. So it's going to be very interesting to watch them. So I don't think there's going to be any complacency, and I feel like that'll help a player like Andy Aldave and even on Olivia Dirks, who's coming from Penn State, who's just not used to nothing against the Big Ten last season or the season before that, but it's just a different kind of competition in the ACC, a different type of intensity. And the conferences are just better, or is just better. There's better players. So sticking with the ACC, we have Paige Petty, who transferred to Pittsburgh, a little closer to home. She's from New Jersey, played at Virginia Tech for four years, came out with a bang her freshman season when Virginia Tech was breaking all types of school records. They went to the ACC attorney. They went to the NCAA attorney. And then it, it kind of fell off. Um, but she was still great in her own right. So what do you what do you think of her going to Pittsburgh, staying in conference, but changing schools? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really exciting. I'm excited to watch her um, at Pitt. I think that was a really smart decision for her because she is now stepping into a really um, some really big shoes. But I think it's like a good opportunity for her, you know, to to help build this program. And, you know, she's she definitely has the talent. Um, and the leadership experience coming from um, Virginia Tech, you know, she was their star, um, you know, one of their hard, most hardworking players. And I think, you know, I think as a fifth year, you, wherever you're playing, um, you leave it all out on the field. So I think she's going to have, you know, a lot of people looking up to her. I think she's going to, you know, be able to continue, um, continue on, you know, being such a stud. And, and I think she's going to help Pitt, you know, get on the map and, you know, staying within the ACC too. I think that's a really cool opportunity because it is the most competitive league. And I think, you know, for her, she knows what it takes um, to compete at that level. So I think it's going to be really exciting um, to see her step in, and you know, sort of lead the charge for Pitt. For sure. So with her, I really wasn't surprised that she transferred. What I found interesting was when she shared with me that she knew she was going to transfer before last season even started. So she visited Pittsburgh in December, I think she said. And so that was just interesting to me. So it was already premeditated. She knew that she was wanting to leave. It wasn't because they didn't have the greatest season or because they had a coaching change. Uh, she said she just wanted to go back up north. She loved her time at VT, but she wanted to go back up north for her last season. And so for me, I'm more excited than anything with her transfer because a- the ACC is already amazing. But now you have Pittsburgh, who I feel like they're going to be the storyline going into 2022. It's going to be their first season. They have all sorts of ACC transfers. They were like the, the place to go this offseason. 
So they have a ton of Syracuse players, Virginia Tech transfers. I mean, it's going to be very interesting. They also have a goalie, Paulina DeFada from Elon, who I'm very high on. She's a very good player. And so I really don't have much to say on Paige Petty transferring other than I'm excited to see her. It's going to be a little different seeing her in the Pittsburgh colors in their uniforms, but it's going to be cool to see that. And I feel like, like you said, she's going to be a leader on that team because she knows what it takes to, to not only compete in ACC, but to win. She's been in the ACC for four years. She's got more experience than anyone on their roster. She's the biggest name on their roster. So I feel like a lot is going to be on her shoulders, but Mm -hmm. it's an also, it's also a very exciting opportunity for her and Pittsburgh as well. It it can be a, a very mutually beneficial partnership for as long as it lasts, which won't be too long, just a year, less than a year. So very interested to see how that plays out. Yeah. I think you make a good point about, you know, there being other ACC transfers um, on the roster. I think that's going to be really cool for her too, because she was, she had some stud players alongside her at Virginia Tech, but I think they were, they were younger players this past season. And so I think, you know, she's going to be able to be that much better if she has those types of players surrounding her at Pitt, you know, Syracuse transfers. Um, And I think she's going to be able to, you know, highlight their talent and her talent um, at one, like at once. So I think it's going to be really cool to see, you know, how she grows from, from this experience and, and having talent surrounding her talent. It's going to be interesting. It's I'm glad you brought the talent because no offense to the, to, to the talent at Virginia Tech this past season, but they just weren't very good. Um, mm-hmm. I know they had a lot of struggles with COVID and, and she was injured, um, but they just, if you look at all the ACC teams, which this probably isn't a fair comparison, but you could argue they were the worst ACC team. Um, I would take Louisville over them, Virginia. I mean, so I don't want to bash them. They just didn't have the talent last year, but it's going to be interesting this upcoming season because they have a lot of transfers, but a lot of the transfers they got were backups either at Syracuse or at Virginia. So it's going to be interesting to see how much talent Pittsburgh does end up having and that they can surround Paige Petty with because I would say the only lock for Pittsburgh going into the fall is, you know, Paige Petty is going to start, you know, she's going to produce and everyone else is kind of a question mark. You have some freshmen that enrolled last season and they were just practicing the whole year, but you didn't get to see them up against D1 competition. I think they had a scrimmage against Slippery Rock, which is either D2 or D3. But so it's going to be very interesting to see how much talent Pitt actually does have. I do have faith in their coaching staff. I think they're going to be amazing. I've heard nothing but good things about their coaching staff, but I just, I hope they have the talent that Paige Petty is deserving of for her final season. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Definitely. I'm excited to watch that too. Awesome. So now we will transition to the rule changes, which some very interesting rule changes got some people heated, had some hot takes, especially with the changing from two halves to four quarters. Let's start with that. That's probably the, mm-hmm. the biggest one just because of I don't know. It makes it more like men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse, but what are your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Um, I still like it, to be honest. I think that it's definitely going to change, um, you know, the pace of the game and there's going to be some, obviously some more pauses. And we always talked about at BC, you know, whenever, whenever there's a timeout, there's always some type of momentum shift. If there's a team, you know, who's, who's down by a few and calls a timeout, they obviously are coming out of the gates hot. So I think it's going to, you know, allow for some comeback opportunities for teams that are down by a few goals. Um, you know, it, it allows both teams to, to regroup and, 
you know, sort of reevaluate, um, you know, what the last um, quarter was all about and where they need to get better. Um, so I think it's definitely going to heighten the um, the competition. And and I think I'm excited for it. I think it's cool. It definitely will be a little bit more like men's across, but I think, you know, women's across is becoming way more of a possession battle of possessions. And, you know, with the shot clock that, that was added a few years ago, that sort of what sparked it. But I think with quarters now, it just sort of, it makes each minute that much more important. And I think it makes each possession that much more important. So, so I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm excited to see how it works out. I'm excited as well. Once again, I really agree with what you said about how each timeout can be a, a momentum changer, builder, however you want to look at it. And so with the quarters, this was going to be three extra timeouts after the first quarter, second and third quarter. So that's going to be very interesting you have some teams that get off to fast starts in games and they just kind of sit on that the rest of the game. So now with the extra timeouts, especially in the first half, I feel like that will allow the teams that don't get off to a fast start or that maybe don't have the talent to just, to just win from start to finish. That will give them a chance to stay in games longer and give them a chance to pull upsets. So we might see a few more upsets. Um, Mm -hmm. We still need a little more parity in the sport before we see too many more upsets, I would say, but Mm -hmm. um, So that'll be very interesting. It's really, I feel like kind of going off what I just said, I feel like for teams that aren't as good, they're going to be liking this more than teams that are good because if Maryland's up 10, nothing in the first 15 minutes of every game, they don't want to timeout, you know, when they're playing lesser competition, neither does VC or North Carolina. They just want to keep playing and like keep the bleeding going. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. But of all the rule changes that they made, I feel like this one I'm most okay with. I would still prefer the halves, but I can see I can see it both ways. Um, so of the, of the other rule changes, are there any ones that you're like, uh, no, I don't like that? Um, I don't think any of them. I was like, no, I don't like it. Um, I think the free start below what was it below the um, GLE. They made that one. I think that's going to be interesting because I don't know. They must be getting rid of like going to the dot and stopping play. I guess that's sort of what, what that means, I guess. Um, But I think, I think it's cool because, you know, it it allows the defense, like sometimes takes that as an opportunity to reset and like, you know, get on the same page if the offense has to stop and, 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 you know, wait for the whistle. Um, So I think, you know, it's going to have, it's going to force the defensive units to sort of like, be ready and you know we can't use that that time to to reset like sort of resituate I guess um but no none of them I was really like no I'm not a huge fan of but are there any you I have a feeling you didn't like some of the other ones um okay okay I'll start with one that I didn't not like but I didn't mm-hmm. like either it was one I was more confused on if you can hear my dogs in the background I'm sorry they're just want to be tough guys so anyways <laughs> um the stick check change is something I'm a little confused about. So if you read the official release from the NCAA and the women's lacrosse rules committee, they said that these rules were all designed to make the game more efficient and to eliminate unnecessary stoppages. So with the stick checks, eliminating them before the games, I'm not really sure how that makes the games more efficient or eliminate stoppages because those are before the games for broadcasted games. Those are done before the broadcast starts. So I'm a little confused on that. And one former player told me that 
it's like they eliminated half the stick check rule because they're not no longer going to be checking sticks for anyone that doesn't score. But then for people that do score, they still get their stick checks. So it's like defenders, will they be playing with illegal sticks more often now because they're not getting their sticks checked unless they score, you know? So I, I just, I have a lot of questions about that. And obviously you're a defender and you're fresh off the scene. So what do you think about checking the sticks for only goal scorers and not the entire team? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's definitely an interesting point. I, I, I'd be interested to see if, you know, defenders do start playing with um, illegal sticks. I think there's also, you know, a bit of risk with that because I don't know if I think, you know, there, there's still random stick checks allowed during, during the game. And, you know, for those games that are tied or, or, or close, I think, you know, that that's a huge game changing call as if you, you know, you, some people do go to check uh, or do most often check defender sticks because they're not checked by the referees as often. So, I mean, at least coming from my perspective, I, I still think that's, you know, I, I would still keep my stick legal because I wouldn't want, you know, to be the reason why in a close game, you know, the other team. Yeah. So, but you know, that, that also doesn't happen too often only in close games really do, do coaches decide to call chick stick checks. So, um, that is going to be interesting. And I think, you know, changing that rule, um, is going to, you know, cause some disagreements, but, but yeah, definitely, you know, the, the ones who are scoring the most will, will continue to get their stick checks and, you know, which is the right thing, obviously, but yeah, for defenders, I don't know what's going to be, it's going to be a different game. It's going to add a different element to the game for sure. Do you think that they should have removed the stick checks altogether? Or do you think that the stick checks are a necessary part of the game to prevent illegal sticks and people, for lack of a better word, or maybe this is the proper word, but to prevent people from cheating? Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I, I, I mean, I definitely think that, you know, it's, it's risky. And I, I do think that stick checks, um, you know, should happen especially within the, the draw circle, right? There's a lot of tweaking to the sticks um, that the um, face-off girls use in order to, you know, maybe give them an advantage. Um, so I think, you know, in that sense, it's, it's definitely important. And I think for midfielders and attackers, you know, there's the people, they're always changing their sticks. They're always, you know, making sure their sticks are perfect to, to throw and to catch and to shoot. Um, so I definitely think they're necessary and, and, you know, obviously they'll keep the in-game stick checks after they score, but, but yeah, I, I, I do think that, you know, they should have kept the full checking all the sticks on the bench. I think, yeah, you know, like you said, it doesn't affect, um, the efficiency of the game once it starts, it's all before. So, um, yeah, I was definitely scratching my head at that one though. All right. So, um, sticking with the rules, obviously, we have about six minutes left and I don't know if this can be answered in six minutes. Um, (laughs) But Gary gate came out last season and he wasn't the only one, but he came out and said sticks shouldn't be checked after a goal is scored. It's silly. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't need to be checked. They don't check the men's sticks after they score. So why do you need to check the women's sticks? And so with that, it's like, because of the stick checks after goals, it allows for certain types of celebration. Obviously, you played with Charlotte North, and she just likes to slide hers down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then you have a player every once in a while that'll just chuck it, which is hilarious. And a lot of people do the just the stick slam, you know, thinking they're Rob Gronkowski. And so <laughs> there's a lot of 
good that comes from it because of the celebration but then it's also like do we really need to check them after every single goal so what are your um thoughts on if that obviously that's going to continue this season from what we know but do you think long term that'll stay or would you like to see a change what are your thoughts on that mm-hmm. um I'd actually agree with you I, I sort of like it and like you said I think it it allows for those celebrations and also it takes it takes time to reset the draw too right like everyone's walking back so I don't think it's the stick check that necessarily slows down, you know, the pace of the game and resetting. Um, I think by the time everybody's back up to the draw circle, the stick's already checked anyway. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think it should, it should stay. And, but, but do I think it's going to, no, I, I think in a few years they're going to get rid of it also. If, you know, they, this year, they just got rid of the full um, team stick check. I think this is soon to go also in the next couple of years. Um, but like I said before, I think that you do have, you know, offensive players who who tweak their sticks just a little bit, you know, the stringing just a little bit to allow themselves, um, you know, a half a centimeter even of, of more of a pocket. So I think it should stay. Um, I'm, I'm for it. And I don't think it takes up that much time um, anyway. But I, you know, I could see it both ways too, if, if people think that it sort of slows down the game, but. For sure. So you kind of mentioned this and when, in ter- when it comes to slowing down games and length of games, personally, I watching as many games as I did this past season from different conferences, different levels of teams, I didn't feel like the game was had unnecessary stoppages. I mean, with two halves of lacrosse, it's not like we have a commercial break, commercial timeouts. I think for the um, for nationally televised games on ESPN2, ESPN, ESPNU, they would have the under 20 and under 10 or under 15 timeout, something like that. Not ex- can't Don't quote me on that specifically, but they would have certain TV timeouts, but most games aren't nationally televised. Most are just on ESPN3 or on uh, the school's YouTube channel, whatever. So I didn't think there were a lot of unnecessary stoppages. It's not like the NFL where they go to commercial after every drive pretty much or baseball. They go to commercial after every half inning. There's so many commercials. I just, I don't understand the, some of the logic was some of the rules being changed, like the, the clock continuing to run on fouls below GLE and above the eight meter arc. If, because if you, if you go and look at the game times, which all the major schools and pretty much all of them, all schools have this on their website. If you go to the box score, they'll have the duration of, of the games. And most schools, the games are less than two hours long. And so that's a good, that's a good time frame, you know? So there aren't that many stoppages. And then you go to the AU pro lax and they're having eight minute quarters. So 32 minutes of lacrosse versus 60 minutes. And they're going like an hour and a half, an hour, 45 minutes for way less lacrosse because they're adding commercial breaks. So I feel like, I don't know if, if what I'm saying is making sense right now, but I just feel like some of these rules, I don't think were necessary right now. Not that I'm saying we should be reactive versus proactive in, in the rules and changing things, but I'm, I'm just a little, I don't know if they're trying to make the game more efficient, but I feel like the game is the best it's ever been. So I don't know. I'm going to stop talking now. No, I, I agree. I, I don't think they were all necessary at this point. Um, I think one thing that that sort of, in a sense, slows down the game, I've talked about this with some of my teammates before, is um, the draw being set up. You know, like 
like the um, center circle girls are all trying to, you know, get a certain advantage and leverage their stick and the refs like pushing their bottom hands down and aligning with their hips and all that. Um, so I don't know if this would ever be considered, but I think it would add a cool element to the game doing like sort of a, um, a hockey type face-off rule. So if the two center circle girls are sort of like going back and forth and, and, you know, they're both trying to cheat and the refs yelling at both of them, you know, sometimes the ref even has to take the ball out and take a step back and then reset. And, and I think that, you know, that's sometimes like frustrating as people for people who are behind the restraining line, they're like, okay, like any day now the jog is the jog going to be set up. Um, so I think, you know, a couple of years down the line, it'd be cool to sort of see, you know, two girls aren't, aren't like listening or whatever one's trying to cheat over the other both of them are tossed out and two new people have to come in. I think that could be something that's really cool. I don't know. I've talked about it with some of my teammates before, but in terms of slowing down the game, I feel like that's something that definitely does. For sure. That's a great idea. Um, obviously that would be great for VC, you know, Kinsey Kent, the hockey player. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, but that's very interesting. That's a great idea. That would be very, that would be great. And the draws, sometimes they, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say like, they need, they should just get up there, drop the ball and blow the whistle. But mm -hmm. sometimes they do take a little long. And then if you have to redraw two or three times, it's like, uh. Mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah. So, but that's a great it's idea. Awesome. Yeah. That's why you go to Boston college. You're a genius, you know, <laughs> that's great stuff right there. Um, so just real quickly, last off from me on the rule changes, one rule change I did like is that if, uh, if an offense keeps possession, during their offensive possession, whether it's off a missed shot or shot goes off the pipe, goalie saves it, saves it but doesn't possess it. I do like the possession clock only resetting to 59 seconds as opposed to the full 90. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a good change. Um, resetting to the full 90, especially when it comes to the end of games, it can really lessen the intensity because then the offense can just run out the clock more. And I feel like if there's anything that I would like to see changed is less running out the clock at the end of games, but I totally understand that's part of it. Um, that's not something like I hate. It's just if I could pick something to change a little bit, that would probably be it. So I do like that. Um, any final thoughts from you on the rule changes? Mm -hmm. No, I think it's going to be exciting to see how they, you know, all sort of impact the game. And and I agree. I think as a defender, I definitely like that. The 50 set, 59 second reset also, I think, you know, it's, it's disheartening sometimes for defensive units. You know, they the ricochets off the pipe. The goalie just doesn't get it. And they're, they're already looking at a full, full 90. And I think that, you know, it does allow for them to the offense to stall. But but no, I think it's going to be cool. And, you know, the game's constantly evolving. There's always rule changes. So, um, you know, the game, sometimes they, they grow the game. Sometimes they don't. Everybody has their own opinions of it. But I'm excited to see um, how everything plays out. For sure. Okay, so that was episode three of The Player and the Journalist. Jillian Riley showed why she goes to Boston College. Well, why she went to Boston College. Genius! Um, <laughs> so, yes, that's episode three. We will be back in two weeks for episode four. Submit some topics to us. DM us on Instagram or DM Lacrosse Extras. So you can decide what we talk about because we're doing this for the fans, obviously. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next time. Mm -hmm.